sacred moment acknowledging that you are good and that no matter what darkness is around us no matter what things we're experiencing personally or as a nation no matter what we find ourselves circumstantially we know that you are good and you are in control that you are holding on to us and I pray God that you'll build our faith that you would renew our faith that we would again just see how incredibly powerful you are how good you are and how much you care for each and every one of us and I pray today Lord that you would remind us of that power and goodness of the living God the God that loved us so much that you searched out and chased after us and sent Jesus to die for us so that you could bring us into relationship and I pray that we would never take that for granted and God, as we move forward into your word, we just pray that you'll continue to transform our lives. Change us today because we've been here in contact with you in your living word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have to say I'm continually blessed when I see all the persons who have served in our military and honored to be part of this congregation because of what you guys, you men and women, have done. And uh, I think that the first time I was really aware of the military was when we served a church that was close to Fort Lewis and McCord Air Force Base in Tacoma, Washington, in Lakewood, Washington, and wow, I had no clue the quality of persons that were in the military, their professionalism, their commitment, their love for God and country, and I grew in a whole new awareness of the sacrifices. They, they would be deployed sometimes for weeks or months, and their family couldn't even know where they were, and they came back, and they couldn't even tell me what they had done. That was what, what was amazing. But they were serving our country uh, in the military. And so uh, I want to express that and say thank you as well for your, for your service. This morning I want to ask you some questions. These are hypothetical questions. You don't have to answer them. Has anyone ever done something mean to you? Okay. Have you ever been wronged? Has anyone tried to purposely hurt you? Have you ever experienced injustice? Most of us, probably all of us, would probably say yes. It was maybe your best friend stole your girlfriend in grade five. Or your classmate cheated on a test or assignment and you got the blame. Someone stole money from you, but you could never prove it. A person you trusted gossiped about you and ruined your reputation. An ex-spouse took you to court and took everything you had. You had an argument and a fight that de degenerated into a huge conflict, and both of you said very hurtful things, and now there's no going back. Your relationship is strained, estranged or non-existent. 
Or you did something to someone else and they have refused to ever forgive you. All of these scenarios and many more cause hurt, anger, bitterness, resentment, even hatred. We all, all of us experience conflict and the results can be painful and destructive. We typically will hide our true feelings under a a veneer of busyness or activity or religiosity or spirituality and, and no one knows. The anger in most of us is invisible, it's internal. We nurse our our grudges in private and we pretend in public. Well, God knows that our internal state of being is the real person. That's the real us. My heart is the real me and what goes on inside profoundly affects everything that is on the outside. And that is why Jesus addresses not only our actions in his teachings, but especially he addresses our hearts, our our attitudes, our motives, our emotions. We all experience emotions. Some show it more than others. If you're Scandinavian like me, you may not show it very often. But we all experience emotions, especially anger. And the Bible talks about anger. Jesus taught about anger. And two weeks ago, Pastor Josh talked about anger. Now, there are two words used for anger in the New Testament, two Greek words translated anger. The first one is thumos, thumos, which is like a lighting of a newspaper. If you want to start something quick, you light a newspaper and poof, goes up, and then it's gone. It's very quick anger. Describes this reaction. It goes, comes up quickly and then goes down quickly. That's thumos anger, okay? And that's, that one's easy to see. We explode, whatever. Goes out quickly. It describes a reaction. That's thumos. Now, there's also a word for anger that is orge. Orge. It's a, it's a slow burn anger. An anger that grows hotter and hotter. And it's, it's a heat that we have to kind of nurse along. You kind of feed that anger. We're, we're angry, and so we just kind of feed that. We intentionally blow on those hot coals to keep them hot and try to make them hotter. And it's that kind of anger, orge, that leads to bitterness, hatred, and potentially even murder. And Jesus said that kind of anger, orge, is as bad as murder. Wishing for someone's demise, hoping for someone's destruction, is the same in God's eyes as the act itself. So how do we deal with anger? How do we deal with anger? How can we move from anger to reconciliation? We had a conflict. Now I'm getting really angry. Somebody's angry at me. What do I do about it? What do I do about it? I I hope by the time we leave today, we'll have some guidelines that Jesus gives us in how to deal with conflicts and anger. And I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 5. We're again in Matthew 5 as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. It's on page 786 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the projection. Matthew 5, 23 through 26. 
Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now this, this passage begins with the word therefore, or if therefore. And whenever you see therefore, you always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Okay, just, just saying, you always ask that. And the assumption is, you look at the previous verses, the assumption is, we have offended someone. There's an offense. There's a reason for anger. The things that we all experience. So the assumption, we've offended someone. And he says, if therefore, this is what we should do. These are the actions I am to take. So if somebody offends you, these are actions you need to take. We're going to look at principles of unresolved conflict. We're going to look at principles of reconciliation. And we're going to look at elements of reconciliation. This is not exhaustive. This is not a course in conflict management, but we're going to try to take what Jesus said and apply it to our lives. How do we know if and when we've been reconciled? Let's start with the principles of unresolved conflict. The principles of unresolved conflict. Letter A, first of all, unresolved conflict has spiritual consequences. Unresolved conflict has spiritual consequences. In other words, unresolved conflict with our fellow man affects our relationship with God as well. If, if we refuse to forgive, God will not forgive us. Now, that sounds really radical. But God chose to impose that restriction on human beings. There's a whole message that I preach on the parable of the unmerciful servant. Just very quickly, it tells about this guy who owed somebody multi-million dollars. He owed a huge debt he could never pay in multiple lifetimes. And so he went and he pleaded for mercy and said, please forgive me of my incredible debt. And he has mercy on him, so he forgives him. And so this guy was so grateful, he went out and found his friend who owed him 20 bucks. And he grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me my 20 bucks. And since he didn't have it, he had him thrown in prison. Whoa. And then, the, of course, the guy that he forgave found out about it, and he had him, anyway, it was bad news. Bad thing to do. And then he says, so it is with you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So our relationship and forgiveness or unforgiveness with other human beings profoundly affects our relationship with God. In verse 23, it says, if you're presenting your gift and offering, and this is, the context is a sin offering. You made a mistake, you did something wrong, you sinned. So you're offering a sin offering for atonement, for forgiveness. Jesus says, go resolve your human conflict first. Go resolve your human conflict first. Get that relationship straightened out. We cannot be right with God when things are not right with our fellow human beings. Let me give you an illustration. With our family, we have two daughters, Brittany and Brianna. And if they have an argument or fight, and they become estranged, I have a relationship with both daughters. And I cannot rest or be at peace with either of them until they 
resolve the problem. Same thing with you parents. You, you have an unresolved conflict. Your children cannot be at peace with either of you, husband or wife, mother or father, until you resolve the conflict. It's an imperfect illustration, but God has a relationship with all his children. God has a relationship with all of his children. He also has an equal love for all of his children. He also has an equal love for pre-Christians or those who do not believe as we do, in case your conflict is with someone outside of the church community. See, sometimes we, we arrogantly assume we are more important to God than that person over there or that brother or a sister that offended me, the uncle or aunt or the boss who treated me unfairly or the spouse that cheated on me or the Christian that is not nearly as spiritual as me or maybe they're not even a believer at all. And the question is, who do we think we are? God does not play favorites, okay? I know that's hard to say. I like to think I'm loved more than anybody else by God. Well, God loves us all the same. God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't have his special pets. God loves all of us. And just as a parent cannot be totally restored to his children, until they resolve the conflict, neither can God. So unresolved conflict with our fellow human beings affects our relationship with God. Therefore, if you're coming to God at the altar seeking reconciliation or seeking forgiveness of him, first go reconcile with the offended brother. Make it right with your human beings. Does that make sense? I didn't say it was easy. I just said, that's what he says. That's what Jesus says. And he says, don't come back until you do. So unresolved conflict has spiritual consequences. Secondly, letter B, unresolved conflicts affect our whole being. They affect, affect our whole being. It get, there are internal effects. We cannot be at peace internally when we have unresolved conflicts. It'll gnaw away at us. It'll eat us inside. Preoccupation of the past, it affects our emotional health. It also has physical effects. Physical effects. Medical studies in holistic medicine have discovered what the Bible has always said. We are one being, and every part of us is interconnected. Our mind, our will, and emotion. Our mental health affects our physical health. Our physical health affects our mental health. We're interconnected. And letter C, unresolved conflict affects all our relationships, all our relationships. Now, it was back a few years ago. I, w I was at a men's retreat, and I was playing volleyball. And, and you know what happens when you, after you're 40 years old, you always have to prove your manhood on the basketball court or volleyball, whatever. So, so I was going to prove my manhood and block a spike, okay? I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. You know, when I was young, I was pretty good at it. So, so I went to block the spike, and I didn't succeed, except I broke my index finger. It was humiliating. It was awful. I broke my finger. For the next three months... Everything I had done in the normal course of a day drew attention to my finger, okay? And it was, I could just open a door, turn the key on to start the car, washing my hair, eating. It didn't matter what I did. Everything, I felt it in this finger because it, it was damaged. It was hurt. 
Well, having unresolved conflict is like walking around with a broken finger or an open wound. Even normal contact causes us to recoil in pain. If, if it's not resolved, it still hurts, it's still painful. Okay? If we've not resolved that, we're going to still, it's going to exacerbate that. It's going to affect our relationship with other people. We're sensitive. We have anger and bitterness. It, it'll come out in different ways. If we're in pain or crippled emotionally, we're unable to deal with regular life. Letter D, unresolved conflict affects our future. It affects our future. There can be long-term consequences. Some people live for years nursing a grudge, stoking the fire of bitterness, keeping that orge flame alive. And the person who wronged them, the person they want to affect them the least, actually affects them the most. Let me say that again. The person they want to affect them the least affects them the most. Well, whether you were the offender or the offended, those are just some starter points for principles of unresolved conflict. So let's look at the principles of reconciliation. Where do we start? What does Jesus tell us to do? First of all, letter A says take the initiative. Somebody always has to go first. Now, I like to be first in anything, first in line, first in whatever. I like to be first, not, not in this case. I, I, I don't want to go first. If you're like me, you don't want to be the one that takes the initiative. We always want it to be the other person. Well, the other person may or may not know. He says first, verse 24, first go and be reconciled. Be reconciled. That's second heiress passive imperative for those of you that really wanted to know. What that means is it's an action that's taken on us. Being reconciled is part of the other person in the process, but it's also a command. It's a command. And the command is, do it. You're the first one. Someone has to go first, and that's you. Okay? It's you, since you're hearing it today. <laughs> Say, oh, I didn't want to go to church today. Do you know that Jesus went first? In Romans 5, 8, it said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while we were still enemies in enmity, Jesus went first. He took the initiative. And he calls on us to be first in building reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. Says, there's a lot here, but I just want to look at it a little bit. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's our job. It's, it's been given to us. We have the message of reconciliation. See, Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. We were estranged from God. He didn't wait for us to initiate that. He initiated it. And in the same way, we are to initiate reconciliation, first with God and then each other. Jesus took the initiative. We responded. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. And if we do not take the initiative in the Christian community of love, 
How do we expect anyone else to take the initiative to resolve the conflicts? Jesus took the initiative to reconcile, and still, even today, he has more negative responses than positive. So don't be discouraged if you take the initiative and they don't respond. I mean, I, I've had that. It's like you go to somebody, you've been working up the courage, and you, you had this big conflict or fight, and you go to them and you say, I know we had a big problem, and you say, I just want you to know I apologize. I'm sorry. Then we wait. Okay? Are, are you, and you can't ask them, are you going to say you're sorry? You just say, I'm sorry, and you wait, and they don't do anything. And it's like, are you kidding me? Well, sometimes that's what happens. They, you say you're sorry, you apologize, you reconcile, you take the step forward, and they reject it. They may reject it. Well, you know what? More people have rejected Jesus than accepted him. More people, he's the son of God, okay? He did all this for us, and more people says, why does the, is, the, is the path or the road that leads to destruction more go there than the narrow path believing in Jesus? Take the initiative. Letter B, do it quickly. Do it quickly. Do not wait. There's a sense of urgency here, a sense of a immediacy. And, and this particular sense is reconciliation is so important that it can even interrupt worship. And in this context of worshiping, going and, and worshiping in the temple was of utmost importance. And he said, stop. Go reconcile first. Settle matters quickly. Now, there, there are two different pictures, and we won't get into a lot of this but because of the legal standpoint, but two different pictures. One is a brother, a church, which would be a believer, and then there's the opponent, adversary at law. There's a law court and enemy. So you have a brother who's a friend, and you have an adversary who's an enemy or foe. But whoever it is, he says, reconcile quickly. The basic lesson is the same, if someone has a grievance against us, reconcile quickly. Do it quickly. There are many ways people can have a grievance against us. When we become aware, do we take the initiative? Do we do it quickly? Do we do it quickly? Now, let me just put a note here. If you're not aware, you're not responsible yet. Okay? Sometimes we're not aware. And... And we go, I, I had no idea. I had no idea. We're responsible for what we know. And let her see. We cannot be right with God until we're right with people. We cannot be right with God until we're right with people. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, don't let the day end. And do not give the devil a foothold or an opportunity. What is that? If we don't reconcile, if we leave that anger, if we leave that sitting there, we actually give the devil an opportunity or a foothold, an input into our lives. We open his influence and eventual control in our life. Reconciliation on earth leads to reconciliation in heaven. Make things right with people, make things right with God. Refusal of reconciliation on earth re leads to refusal of reconciliation in heaven. Letter D, our motives can have two sides. 
Okay? Our motives can have two sides. First one is love. Love motive. We desire to reconcile because we love God and the other person. And that's a, that's a great motivating factor. I love God so much. I love this person so much. I want to reconcile. There's another motive. It's called fear. <laughs> fear. We're afraid of the consequences if we do not reconcile. And that's legitimate. He says you might be thrown into, into prison. This is a picture of the judgment of God. See, we want to do it out of love, but if you don't do it out of love, at least do it out of fear, because otherwise we open ourselves up to the judgment. He says, you may be thrown into prison. But whatever the motive, love or fear, the results can be the same. The results are reconciliation. Letter E, reconciliation is more important than religious duties. Reconciliation is more important than religious duties. How many of us try to hide behind our, our faith or our religion, our religious activity? You know, I'm, I'm sure God is pleased with me and all that I'm doing for him. I, I, you know how much I'm doing for you, God? I mean, I'm so busy. I, I do so many things for you. And we kind of hide behind that. We say, uh, I'm just going to ignore this issue because I'm busy for God. It's like children seeking their parents' favor even though they're estranged from their siblings. Letter F, compromise is better than a loss of freedom. Compromise is better than a loss of freedom. And here it was compromise is better than prison. Okay, that's good. A lack of conflict resolution places us in a kind of bondage that ties us down or enslaves us. Maybe not a literal prison. But if we don't resolve that conflict, we're in bondage. It, it enslaves us. And sometimes that compromise is important. I was counseling a young couple in conflict, and they had legitimate differences. They all do, by the way, just so you know. And one particular thorny issue we talked about went around and around, and finally I said, wait a minute, okay. I said, time out. I said, is there any room for compromise here? Is there any room for compromise? One said yes. He said no. I should have said it that way. One said yes and one, one said no. It, it, it takes two to compromise. Now, when we're talking about compromise, I'm not talking about moral compromise or spiritual compromise. I'm talking about meeting in the middle of the issue that caused the conflict. Now, if you're like me, I like to think I'm 100% right all the time. And I was really good with that. Then I got married. I discovered I'm, I, I'm right sometimes. <laughs> it, it's just, it's like, okay, we, we need to understand that there's, there's compromise. Sometimes we're not right and we're wrong. So principles of unresolved conflict, principles of reconciliation. Let's look at number three, the elements of reconciliation. Elements of reconciliation. How do I know if I've been reconciled? First of all, there's confession. Very important that we start with confession. I did something wrong. I blew it. I was wrong. I was angry. I got mad, etc. Confession, which is admittance of culpability and responsibility. That, that's really hard. That's hard, especially when we're right, or we think we're right. But admit, I 
was wrong. I did something wrong. And then there's letter B, true sorrow. True sorrow. I am really sorry. I really am sorry. And I don't know if you did this with your kids or you do it with your kids. When they had a conflict, I'd say, say you're sorry. And sometimes it, it just wasn't very sincere. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes I, I wanted to see tears to make sure they were sorry. So out came the paddle or whatever it was. And then, then when I saw tears, I knew there was sorrow. Now, we're not sure what kind of sorrow it was, but there was sorrow. There must be sorrow. It has to be true sorrow. Not just confession, but true sorrow. And then, let her see a genuine attempt to right the wrong. There's confession, which says I was wrong. There's sorrow, which says I'm sorry. But without step three, it's meaningless. Everybody's sorry for their sins, but is anybody doing anything about it? There's confession without true repentance. Repentance is an action, a turning of 180 degrees, righting the wrong. We cannot have true reconciliation with God and others unless we genuinely right and try to right the wrong. You can say, sorry I built you out of $10,000. That's not enough. Make it right and actually pay it back. There has to be action attached to that. There's a scholar named Bruner. He writes about the Old Testament. He's talking about this passage. He said, the idea behind sacrifice was quite simple. If a man did a wrong thing, that action disturbed the relationship between him and God. And the sacrifice was meant to be the cure which restored that relationship. But two most important things have to be noted. First, it was never held that the sacrifice could atone for deliberate sin. For what Jews called the sin of a high hand. If a man committed sin unawares, then the sacrifice was effective. Second, to be effective, the sacrifice had to include confession of sin and true penitence. And true penitence involved the attempt to rectify any consequences sin might have had. And you look at the law in the Old Testament that you dug a hole and somebody else's ox fell into it and killed, got killed. You could say, I'm sorry, but you had to actually restore and give them an ox back. There, there was something that had to be done. He says, not even the sacrifices of the Day of Atonement could avail for a man unless he was first reconciled to his neighbor. The breach between man and God could not be healed until the breach between man and man was healed. The Jews were quite clear that a man had to do this utmost, his utmost, to put things right himself before he could be right with God. A genuine attempt to right the wrong. Now that's not earning the forgiveness. It's attempting to right the wrong. And it's critical in reconciliation that we do that. So there's confession, sorrow, and righting the wrong. And fourth, there's the restoration of relationship. Restoration of relationship. You may have had a conflict with someone and say, I forgive you. I just never want to see you again. Their, their, their presence reminds you of the pain they cause. It's like, you know what? I'll forgive them, and I forgive you, but I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. Whatever. That's, that's not restoration of relationship. Okay? 
It may take time, but eventually there has to be a restoration of relationship. That does not mean that you have to totally trust the person who wronged you. Might have been a business dealing that you say, I'm not going to do business with him again. But we must restore the personal relationship. Anything less than that is not true reconciliation. Reconciliation. You say, I can't do that. Good. I can't either. The Holy Spirit of God in you must be the power source to be able to forgive and to restore a relationship. There's so much in here we, we can't do. It's like, are you kidding me? No. We all deal with the same issues. It's hard. So the principles of unresolved conflict, the principles of reconciliation, elements of reconciliation. Is there someone in your life today, okay, that you need to email this week? Maybe you need to call them on the phone. Maybe you need to write a letter or make an appointment. In the words of that great unknown poet, just do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who understands our hurts and our struggles. You understand the need for reconciliation. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in this. We admit that it's got to be you working in our heart, that we can't do it on our own. And I pray, Jesus, that you would give us the strength and the wisdom to know, is there someone in my life today that you want me to reconcile with? Do I need to help someone make that reconciliation step, whatever that is? And God, that we would be a people that that we'll lay our, our gift at the altar and that we will go and be reconciled so that we can have that open relationship with our fellow human beings, but especially with our relationship with you. And we thank you. Let's stand, shall we?